Welcome to Creative Biolabs Science Channel. Creative Biolabs is a specialized contract research organization supporting mRNA studies with all-round solutions covering mRNA synthesis, modification, and mRNA therapeutics development. With an unwavering pursuit of innovation and lifelong learning, we keep on producing podcast series related to mRNA technology based on our knowledge and practical experience gained through years of exploration in this area. Subscribe to our channel and keep updated with our podcasts. Hello my friends. Thank you for joining us this evening for Creative Biolabs podcast series. In our last episode, we were discussing the route of administration of messenger RNA-loaded dendritic cells. We learned that there are many ways to administer dendritic cell vaccines, including intradermal, intravenous, lymphatic injection, intranodal injection and intratumor injection. Regarding these different injection methods, David gave several examples to illustrate their respective advantages and disadvantages. We learned that in all these studies, the dose of the intradermal injection is lower than that of intravenous injection. However, the minimum number of dendritic cells required to stimulate T-cells has not yet been determined. Today, we are glad to invite David to join us again. Thank you for being here, David. Thanks for having me. Today, David will introduce us to the injection time and dosage of the dendritic cell vaccine. We know that dendritic cell vaccine injection interval and dosage are collectively referred to as the vaccination scheme. We will discuss the two variables separately in this episode. And to start, I want to first understand more about the dendritic cell injection dose. If we want to determine the best injection dose of the dendritic cell vaccine, what should be considered? For immunotherapy, dose escalation studies should use the immune response as the primary endpoint, rather than toxicity. Traditionally, it is believed that the more administration, the better. The fact is that the highest dose of dendritic cells is not necessarily the most effective. It's like traditional cell suppression therapy. In addition, the toxicity of the dendritic cell vaccine is negligible. In this case, if the conventional dose escalation phase 1 trial with toxicity as the primary endpoint, the optimal dose for the further clinical setting cannot be determined. But there must be a range of commonly used doses? Yeah, while many doses have been tried, the common range is usually from 1 million to 100 million. And it was observed that 100 million was well tolerated in patients. There are clinical data showing that adults with a single injection dose as low as tens of millions of dendritic cells can induce detectable immune responses and delayed type hypersensitivity reactions in the blood. And it can temporarily reduce the number of circulating tumor cells. Another study used only 5 million dendritic cells in one injection. They did not observe any immune or clinical reactions. Although different doses have been compared through five RNA-loaded dendritic cell studies, the absolute minimum appropriate dose has not yet been determined. Why is it so difficult to determine the appropriate dose? There are a set of reasons, like the lack of a sufficient number of dendritic cells, the small number of patients in each subgroup for comparison, and the general low immunity and clinical response. These all could be the reason. And also, the lowest necessary dose is likely to depend on a variety of factors. For example, the source of dendritic cell, maturity, antigen presentation, 
and route of administration. With a range of doses that scientists have tried, do they know what are the different effects of lower dose and higher dose vaccine injection? Can lower dose injections achieve the same effect as higher dose injections? That's a good question. Researchers thought that low dose injections would produce good results. It has been found in some studies that the response of the injection dose between different orders of magnitude in the patient's body is not the same. In one study, patients who received medium dose and high dose injections appeared to secrete interferon gamma peripheral blood mononuclear cells more frequently after vaccination than patients who received low dose dendritic cell injections. We mentioned before that another variable is the number of injections and the interval between injections. So how many times should RNA-loaded dendritic cell vaccines be injected? What is the approximate time interval between each injection? The RNA-loaded dendritic cell vaccine requires three to six injections. The injection interval varies from once a week to once a month. Immune monitoring at different time points during the vaccination period showed that the proliferation of T-cells generally increased and lasts about two weeks after the final vaccination. But aren't there some patients been vaccinated about 20 times? Why do these patients have to be vaccinated so many times? Because the number of antigen-specific T-cells in the blood will increase in as many as 20 injections. For example, one patient was inoculated with mature dendritic cells loaded with polypeptides over a period of 22 months. In the six vaccines after that, the frequency of antigen-specific T-cell precursors remained stable and lasted for more than a year. So, for patients who have received conventional dendritic cell vaccination, has their condition been alleviated? Of course. A long-term follow-up of a patient who received a more routine dendritic cells injection four times a week showed that almost no tumor antigen-specific proliferation was detected after six months. After a booster vaccination, the patient's immune response lasted for nine months. That's impressive. Based on these observations, has boosted vaccination been included in the vaccine plan? Yes. It is recommended to maintain or enhance the immune response over time with a booster shot. Effective cancer treatment not only requires a strong initial immune response, but also relies on long-lasting T-cell activity and memory T-cell response to tumor recurrence. The minimum dose of dendritic cells, repeated injections, and the optimal injection interval required to maintain an immune response all need to be precise. They are probably the result of dendritic cells' ability to induce effector T-cells and memory T-cells. And then these factors all depend on the type of dendritic cells, maturity status, antigen presentation ability, route of administration, and the immunosuppressive activity of the patient's tumor. That's correct. Since these parameters are not fixed in dendritic cells immunotherapy, the required dosage and administration may vary from vaccine to patient. This fact brings another challenge on the long road to effective RNA-loaded dendritic cells tumor immunotherapy. And a new method has recently been developed to produce a dendritic cell-based vaccine. The vaccine has a superior ability to induce anti-tumor immune response in vitro. The method includes giving dendritic cell maturation or activation signal by messenger RNA electroporation and loading tumor-associated antigens on it. What are the beneficial effects of this method? The advantage of providing mature signals to dendritic cells 
through messenger RNA electroporation is that dendritic cells can be activated very quickly. Dendritic cells do not need to be pre-incubated with soluble maturation signals, such as pro-inflammatory cytokines or toll-like receptors ligands for 48 hours. Because the co-incubation makes the cells exhausted, they are at a disadvantage when vaccinated. Therefore, electroporated dendritic cells can be injected into the patient within a few hours after electroporation. It will mature and secrete most of the immune-stimulating cytokines and chemokines in situ. It has also been speculated that the in-situ maturation of dendritic cells is more similar to the physiological process involved in pathogen infection. This may result in enhanced T-cell immunity. Why activating dendritic cells through messenger RNA electroporation? What are the advantages? Because this way, dendritic cells can be combined with tumor-associated antigens loads in the same electroporation process, which can reduce the actual operation time and operation steps, and reduce the risk of battery loss and contamination. If the full-length tumor-associated antigens-encoded mRNA is used, will all possible tumor-associated antigens' epitopes be presented by dendritic cells? That's exactly right. Therefore, this strategy can induce a wide range of tumor-associated antigens-specific T-cell responses. It does not rely on the prior identification of human leukocyte antigen haplotypes or tumor-associated antigens-derived epitopes for each patient. In addition, the tumor-associated antigens encoding plasmid used for in vitro transcription of messenger RNA can be added with a human leukocyte antigen class II target sequence. Which means that dendritic cells co-electroperated with intact tumor-associated antigens mRNA can stimulate antigen-specific T-cells in vitro and through vaccines. Thus, forming a promising new approach for anti-tumor immunotherapy. Thank you for sharing your expertise with us today, David. Thanks everyone for listening. We will be back next week.